the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, and is, and welcome back Wednesday, December 30th, though we are calling this our New Year's Eve show. It's our last live show of the year, and I knew going out, I was one person I wanted to have on, a man of parts, a man who sees things in large terms, and that's Pete Peterson. He is uh, the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, one of my favorite academic institutions. He is one of my favorite academics. Uh, Pete... <laughs> Welcome and um, f- fond farewell to this year, I'll tell you, huh? I can't go by quickly enough, Seth, and great to be with you and honored to be with you on this last show, uh, live show of the year. No, it's our honor. It's our privilege. I knew you were the man I wanted to hear from because so much of what transpired this year is the kind of stuff you've been writing, thinking, and talking about for several years. If more people, mm-hmm. I was joking the other day saying, you know, I want to change the song, Um I'd like to buy the world a Coke. <laughs> I, you know, if I could buy the world, a, a, you know, a, a, a seminar at Pepperdine School of Public Policy, it doesn't rhyme as well. The new seekers couldn't uh, probably be revived to do it. But I would love to have done that because they could use a dose of the stuff you've been teaching and talking about. Um, I don't know what the biggest story of the year was. I was worried yesterday about how future historians – Historians in the future will look back and write about 2020. And one of my concerns, Pete, one of my concerns is with uh, so much censorship of what I think are critical stories and so much unwillingness to write, at least from a non-biased perspective in the mainstream media, people doing the research are, you know, um, are going to prove yet again history is written by the victors if the victors are the left. I don't know if that worries you at all. Well, I think it does worry me first, Seth, uh, but it does speak to, I think, what is the probably, uh, if not the one of the headlines from 2020, which has been the uh, significant questioning of America's great institutions, particularly civic institutions. Uh, you touch on the media. That mm-hmm. certainly is one of them. Uh, obviously, I'm uh, more in academia, mm-hmm. and I think academia has been brought under uh, pretty withering criticism. Um, we think about uh, questions related to uh, government and government actions, whether it's at the federal level or local level. We've seen great examples of public leadership, and we've seen some really uh, terrible self-interested examples of uh, public leadership. Um, but I think that's that. those are going to be the, the storylines that I'm going to be following as we go into 2021 is the the condition of our civic institutions. The condition of our civic institutions is a hu- is is a hugely important uh, category and topic, um, and I think one of the most important words there is civic, which has to do with mm-hmm. the way people organize themselves. Right? Isn't uh, it's the way it's the way people um, think of their communities? It's the way they engage. Um, right. It's the kind of thing um, 
Aristotle opens his book, The Politics, talking about how you organize, you know, your your polity, and he engages in that great debate of what's more important, family or or or, or government, family or polis. Um, and what happened this year is a big theme of yours: the forced social social isolation, which is in and of itself opposite what we think of as civic engagement or civic enterprise or anything considered civics, right? It was a diminution right. of civics this year, a big one, right? Yeah, you're right. And, of course, when we, we broaden out the lens in that sense to consider the ways in which Americans have always gathered and built relationships, what, uh, what the great uh, political scientist at, at Georgetown, my friend Josh Mitchell, calls you know, face-to-face democracy. Um, we're now going beyond uh, government, but into these other areas. I, I think we have to put work, the workplace, um, seeing that through the lens of civics. That's always been a place where people have gathered, built relationships. Uh, and what is going to be the condition of the workplace uh, now that we've gone through uh, and continue to go through this withering attack on small businesses uh, the inability of businesses to engage in commerce, mm-hmm. uh, the the movement away from um, gathering for for work, whether it's in office parks or uh, factory floors, into more remote online work environments. What does what does that mean for how we meet and get to know one another? And of course, this other element of the neighborhood and the community as well. I was just on the phone yesterday with a friend of mine who lives in the Los Angeles area in Burbank, and she mentioned that uh, she had neighbors on both sides of her um, where uh, one of the spouses had passed away, and she felt like she was in a place where I couldn't go and meet with them. There wasn't anything I could do directly other than sending messages uh, via email or, or calling them up. But this um, this distancing, uh, this disconnection, that this infernal virus has wrought, even at the community level, is something where I know you and I have talked about before. Uh, it is my great hope that we will realize anew the importance of these community-level connections. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but this remains to be seen as we get into the, into the winter months and into the spring, and, and hopefully we get to that place where uh, some semblance of normalcy can resume. The response, the mitigating uh, factors or efforts that some governments employed, uh, municipal and state governments deployed, to curb or stem or address the virus uh, were, um, I think, in part, you tell me, to blame for some of the other problems that we saw this year, I think, um, whether it was uh, rising um, substance abuse whether yeah. it was uh, riots, quite honestly, quite frankly, I, to the north of you, same state, um, you're in Pe- yeah. you're at Pepperdine, but up north in San Francisco, uh, the headline, um, San Francisco being particularly hard hit by COVID, the headline was astounding to me. They had six times the number of drug overdose deaths as COVID That's deaths right. this year, 600 to right. something to 100 something. Um I'm old enough to remember when we cared about the drug epidemic in this country. We called it an opioid epidemic, but I'm old enough to remember that. It takes me about a year, and that's just gone. Well, I guess, and I think that that's, you know, there are some, 
uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, some, some very large questions that remain to be answered. Um, that certainly is one, right? How, how are the trajectories bent, if you will, on these issues related to loneliness and alienation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These, this rapid increase in crime, more broadly, mm-hmm. uh, rapid increases in addiction, as you say, rapid increases in suicide and overdoses. Is this a trend line that continues when some degree of, of normalcy and reconnection happens? And if it is then proven, as I hope and pray that it will be, uh, that we, we begin to see downward trends in these uh, you know, really disturbing uh, cultural uh, and, frankly, health, uh, public safety issues, um, do we realize anew how important it is uh, that we have these face-to-face connections, whether it's in the workplace or in the community or in civil society or our places of worship or our families. Visiting the sick, um, recovery meetings, 12-step meetings, I, I'd throw right. in there as well. I'm glad, yes, obviously religious attendance, religious, yeah, you bet. I, I, yes, the importance of it, maybe we will realize that, and maybe maybe that that will come. A lot of us have been screaming about it since March that, you know, there is public health and there's public health. And <laughs> right. No, I mean, mental health yeah. somehow uh, got shunted aside um, yes. for 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 a disease that, you know, is is we were just beginning to understand. We know a lot more about it now. We know who it is most dramatically going to affect, not the young, yeah. but we did the harshest measures against the young. Uh, we know who it's largely going to affect, not those already in pretty good physical shape. But we took a broad, uh, 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 you know, a broad swath approach and uh, did a universal, some cities, places closer to you than to me, of, of, right. of shutdowns, lockdowns, stay, and stay-in-place orders, shelter-in-place in yep. orders. Um, we've never quarantined the healthy, and we've never done this to children, disrupting in the snap of a finger every piece of their educational and social life. I have to take a break. Can we pick up? You're, you're, you're good for a while with me, right, Pete? Absolutely, yes. Great. 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 I'd love you to address some of that if, if we can when we come back. And we'll be back with Pete Peterson. We'll do some other stories of the year, too, and think about him. Uh, he is, of course, the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Our guest is Pete Peterson. He is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicies.pepperdine.edu. Pete, um, just because it's there, I didn't mean to uh, forget the point we were on before the break. That, that Kenny Rogers, that was a voice we lost, a life we lost this year. There's yep. a lot of loss in you, uh, you and I, I think last time we were on, uh, you, we, we were talking about uh, Bruce Hershenson's passing. Uh, we lost a yep. lot this year in uh, in public lives, but private lives too. Violent crime surged, suicide surged, drug ODs surged. We lost a lot of the famous and not so famous and not famous um, this year. Um, some 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 by natural causes, as in Bruce or Kenny's case. Some by 
Something some some might say imposed causes, uh, imposed policies that we were talking about, and coming to grips with the important of issues like civic health, mental health. Um, these are these are part of public policy too, aren't they? Yeah, they are, Seth. You know, uh, long has been the time I've heard the phrase or the question is the disease is the cure worse yep. than the disease. Right. You know, that was that question raised by the president back in March, as you remember, mm-hmm. and we've we've stopped asking that question publicly, but invariably on a weekly basis. Uh, I know you and your listeners and I will see stories either local or statewide or national of these other related uh, trend lines, again, which are just so disturbing. And I think that's the other part of this as well. One of these other unanswered questions as we get into 2021 is, will there be uh, political repercussions for the policy decisions uh, that were made in 2020? I don't know if you've heard much about this recall effort for Governor Newsom a little bit, yeah, yeah. in California. And I have to say, I, I was somebody that in the first stages just saw this as a, as a lark, um, but they've, they've crossed the 800,000 signature uh, threshold, and uh, that means they're past halfway on the signatures necessary. And while I still think it's a, a very low probability chance of happening, when you when you see this both on a statewide basis, certainly the challenges that we see in our major cities uh, in Los Angeles with Mayor Garcetti, uh, in San Francisco with Mayor London Breed, um, this focus on city level leadership, yeah. um, wondering what kind of political repercussions uh, we might be seeing in 2021. Yeah, well, California is interesting because am I right? I, I should look this up. You would know. Um we California did do a successful recall. Was it Gray Davis in the not too distant past? Someone was that's wasn't? right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so right. So that, that was wasn't back, so uh, long 2002, ago. 2003. Yeah. It's what brought the governor. Yeah, sure, say. sure. Uh, so can we recruit you? If can we recruit you to run for governor? In California? <laughs> no, California no, shows some you. political health this year. It's maybe one of yeah. the underwritten stories. Actually, we'll we'll talk about other no, stories. I think that's I think that's right, Seth. You know, we certainly saw that on these congressional races. And the Civil Rights Initiative. Exactly right. The ballot initiatives here statewide, also tax initiatives, Mm -hmm. uh, rent control initiatives Mm -hmm. that all lost. Um, There there was a a pulse here Mm -hmm. of what could be considered a, a moderately conservative strain and, frankly, an exhaustion. Yeah, um, which again I think is is illustrated by this. I'm uh, always interested effort. in um, what makes someone a conservative if they were a liberal. What was their you know what was their uh, uh, what was yeah. their entree? You know, what, what was their mugging? The what was their Irving mugging? Crystal. The Irving Crystal <laughs> mugging, or what was their gateway? <laughs> and I used to say I think it's going to be um, liberal professors who find out they're not woke enough and get censored and, you know, the kind of stuff you see in Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla's movie. Um, But I'm now wondering if it won't be liberal restaurant owners and other small business owners who see what tyranny can mean. You know, I think that's right. And, And frankly, the randomness of broad brushed 
public policy, yeah. even even at the city level. Right. You know, that viral video, I'm sure uh, many of your listeners saw with that restaurant. She's exactly who I had in mind, because I don't know enough about her, but I was going to guess she was a liberal. She's exactly who I had in my mind. Right? Yeah. I mean, I I have no idea what her political affiliation or ideological leaning might be, or even if she's political at all. She is now. She she now is very much aware of public policy and, uh, and public policy that can be seen as not only indiscriminate, mm-hmm. but but cruel, mm-hmm. right? And that that nexus between I, I just saw another story today where where uh, distillery owners who had shifted their production uh, efforts to uh, sanitizing, um, you know, uh, rubs and lotions and so forth are now receiving a a particular new tax hmm. because they made that transition. Oh my gosh! And, you know, punishment uh, for survival. And, yeah. And not only that, but actually contributing to the welfare yeah. of, of their fellow Americans by shifting from booze into making, you know, these using alcohol towards uh, or, or sanitary uh, hand washing lotions and so forth. And, and those are the kinds of stories this when, when you witness a government that, that overreaches mm-hmm. and then makes policy that uh, really seems as it can easily be seen as harming the public good, not supporting it. Uh, those are the types of stories that tend to move people more in a in a right-leaning direction. Yes, I, I would like to think so, and I also want to say no, maybe not. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I hope you're right. Yeah. And the reason I yeah. say that is I would say 2020 was the year um, Marxism and socialism in America was more vindicated than maybe any other time in our history. Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'll tell you, I think about it in this way, Pete, and I'll take it to the break so you can have a longer response on the, on the, on the uh, other side, if you don't mind. But I'll put sure. it this way. Um, it goes somewhat to the riots, but it predates the riots a little bit with the rise of Bernie Sanders, um, with the rise of uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her squad, all of them proud proclaimed socialists, all of them far by far the most well-known members of Congress because of the most media attention and, and, and please remember glamorous media attention, covers of magazines um, uh, when they were elected, covers of Vanity Fair, Rolling Stone, that sort of thing, to an out-and-out um, proclamation of the biggest movement of the year, perhaps, the BLM movement by its founders, who proudly stated they were Marxist, trained mm-hmm. Marxists, mm-hmm. people marching, mm-hmm. public officials, big city mayors, painting their emblems on their streets, changing street names uh, to um, to embrace and identify with a Marxist, out-and-out Marxist movement. It's not a criticism. They tell you who they are. It's not a criticism to, to call them what they tell you they are. They said they were Marxists. Um, is this the year of the rise of Marxism in America? Can, that's a big one. Can you chew on it and come back on the break with it? I look forward to it. Yes. We're talking to Pete Peterson, and this is the recruiting station for his candidacy for the governorship of California. Who could be better than the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy? Plus, he has a great look. He looks like a governor. It's a tragedy if he doesn't run.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have with us Pete Peterson, the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Pete, am I being too negative, too cynical, too down to say 2020 might mark the year of a resurgent um, or recrudescent Marxism in America? Well, I I certainly agree that it is as visible and as strong uh, the prospects for a broader socialist movement um, since uh, certainly the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think there are there are things that uh, that that should be cause for optimism okay. as well. Good. Um, and as we said before, I think this this broader awareness of the the problems of of technocracy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, government involvement in um, commerce, mm-hmm. um, issues that I think, again, um, bring many different sides of the political uh, aisle to the table. Um, I do think that there is a growing awareness that um, this movement is afoot, uh, but at the same time, I think there's also, there, there is something positive about being more aware of the stakes. Uh, so, for example, I'd throw something out there uh, that's related uh, also, which is the greater awareness of the threat that China poses to the United States. Okay, I think there's good. a greater threat good. of the awareness of, uh, of Russia. Um, and, and so I think, um, I think there's a greater awareness of the fact that academia has gone so far left and that these issues are not just staying on college campuses anymore, that people are seeing the nexus between what's happened on campuses and what's happening in the broader culture. So I, I do think that um, the challenges that you cite are are, are right and, and accurate. At the same time, I do think that there's there's something to be said for being much more aware, and I think there's much more public awareness of, uh, some of these challenges. I, I agree uh, with that. That's step one. Yeah. If I can corrupt a Niburian phrase to continue the um, notion of you being a child of light and me being a child of darkness here, let me <laughs> let me fixate on the China thing for a second. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Pete, yeah. um, because you're right. There is an awareness of it, but there's also a capitulation to it. I have been shocked, for example, over well and high paid spokesmen for companies like Nike and athletic organizations like the NBA that will mm-hmm. do business mm-hmm. in Shenzhen province where there is an active slavery going on right now while being mm-hmm. lectured to them about how America um, Americans shouldn't stand for a national anthem because of that very same institution that we ended 155, 160 years ago. Yeah, and I, I, you, you again bring up very good points, but I, but I will remain uh, focused on the light. <laughs> yeah, yeah, child on the light. Okay, good. Uh, and again, I, I think in that, and I, and I put this in the category of another indictment of our media that, that yeah, yeah, has yeah, not yeah. made us aware in performing its civic duty yeah. of the threat that China poses. I. I don't know if I mentioned this in earlier conversations, but I, I lived in Australia as a kid and still have family there. And uh, in a recent Skype meeting with a family member, 
uh, there in Australia, we were talking about the challenges that Australia is facing with these uh, really a one-sided trade war that China is launching against Australia, all uh-huh. for the great uh-huh. sin of their prime minister calling for uh, broad-based, non-biased public investigations of where uh, where the virus actually came from. And so China is bullying them. And as we were lamenting that fact, my uh, family members said, well, you know that uh, China has just built a new deep water port in Jamaica. Mm. And I said, that's not possible. Mm. I mean, I, if, if, we, if I had heard a story about China's influence, of course, we know the one belt, one road. Yeah. Uh, if I had known that this was happening in the Caribbean, yeah. I'm sure that I would have seen that in the news. And sure enough. Sure enough, no. You know, it, mm. we don't, we haven't heard, but... Yeah. Again, we're, we're hearing from the new incoming administration that uh, this is going to be a focus, but boy, uh, there is reason for concern. Yeah, let's hope in the right direction. I'm going to keep you a little yeah. longer if I can, Pete. Yeah. All right, we'll be yeah. right back. As we go to break, let me put in a word for my favorite product that I endorse, which is Balance of Nature. I take it every single day. It has kept me healthy this entire year through travel and seasonal changes. It improves your health, energy, boosts your immunity. How could it not with tens of thousands of vital nutrients in a single Balance of Nature has a great deal with free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Check them out at balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Pete Peterson with us, the dean of the Pepperdine School of uh, Public Policy. <clears throat> Pete, another story I wonder if you think looms larger will have long-lasting implications. You had mentioned technocracy earlier. Slightly different is the issue of big tech, or maybe big tech and big media. And what I was kind of um, – I shouldn't have been, but I have to admit was kind of surprised – in uh, not just the censorship of stories they engaged in when it came to, you know, their own kind of biases, but really the Hunter Biden laptop story out of the New York Post and how they organized to censor a fellow journalistic enterprise. I was I was quite shocked at that time was Washington Post and New York Times would compete for whether it be the Pentagon Papers or Watergate story, right? They would fight each other to be the first. Here it was a fight to see who could silence the New York Post the first, not get the story themselves. The last thing they wanted was the story, and, and they did a good job of it. Uh, is this Was this a big part of 2020 to you, Pete? No, I think that's right. You know, for the last several years, Uh, I think most Americans believed that social media was really just that. These were platforms that people could communicate uh, either one with another or to massive audiences in a way that was not going to be influenced, impacted, changed, altered, halted uh, by the platforms themselves. And certainly this past year has given us uh, many different instances where uh, the social media companies have put their fingers on the scales of uh, what messages could go out to whom uh, and and what kind of <laughs> attached warnings would need to go on some and not others and and once again this this is these are uh, these are the challenges of of uh, bureaucracies 
that uh, put in place policies that uh, are not evenly distributed, right? So as you say, you know, these questions, this, this lack of curiosity in the Biden story, among others, um, it was only being supported by uh, these social media platforms that um, squelched um, some of these uh, stories from, from coming out, even from an accredited uh, news agency like the Post. And so that is going to be another story. Obviously, we've we've seen a response uh, by the marketplace with Parler, yeah. uh, seen as a, a conservative uh, alternative, or at least a freer alternative to Twitter. And uh, we'll see how popular that becomes. That's another 2021 story worth looking at. You bet. Um but this question around Section 230, which most of us had no idea right. existed right. until this year, yeah. um, you know, remains an issue. And I, obviously the president is, is continuing to try to make that an issue uh, before the end of his term. Um, but that that is going to be a story very much. Uh, in the headlines uh, next year. It's it's kind of an interesting irony. I was talking a little bit about this yesterday. The Section 230 is, of course, a section of something known as the Communications Decency Act, which was passed uh, 1996, circa 1996, to basically protect families and children from the abuses of the burgeoning, uh, well, I don't even know if the phrase social media was around back then, but the burgeoning electronic media and delivery of, you know, uh, uh, child porn and obscene content. That was a big part of it, hence Communications Decency Act. Decency turns into something no one talks about the issues of child porn anymore or obscenity for that matter. Um, and it turns out the CDA has been used under Section 230 by big media to show that conservatism is the indecent thing. I think there has been an effort by the liberal institutions and the left in this country to make conservatives or conservatism almost an untermension. They want us to disappear. We're not, we're not, if you will, on par with respected or or legitimate political opinion. That's the way it sometimes feels they're acting towards us. Well, I think some of the stories that we hear from those who work inside these companies that have come out would certainly give you uh, that impression. And and some of the steps taken to squelch, or to, to use the term they use in Silicon Valley, to, to throttle down uh, messages that uh, that will not get the kind of exposure uh, from the right side as comparable messages on the left will, again, that's that's why this uh, parlor platform, which yep. has been intended to take on Twitter, has uh, gotten a following. Mm-hmm. And it will be interesting to see uh, how popular that becomes, even by some on the left who are increasingly aware that these platforms aren't just places where you put up a message and all your followers see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the algorithms here are, are significant. Uh, and, and play an active role in who sees what and how uh, broadly messages are sent. And so uh, definitely a subject uh, we, we need to watch as the social media companies and platforms have taken such an immense role 
in the broader public square. Right, and because that affects our civics, back to the first word you were, you were using uh, in this interview. Um, Pete, uh, about a minute and, uh, or so left, uh, yep. let me give you the last word on how you summarize 2020 in your own mind, your own worldview, and what you're looking forward to in 2021. Well, it's a year of loss. I don't think there's any other way to put it, uh, both personally and professionally, and I, I know you have too, Seth, and so many of our listeners have lost people that we know and love to this terrible virus, and it shows no sign, at least initially, of abating in the next month or so. So it has been a year of, of tragedy uh, and a year of, of separation um, from not only those we we love, but from our great institutions. And at the same time, I think it, it, it is a year of awareness of the important things. And for those like you that always keep our focus on the important things, uh, the importance of institutions and connection and community, uh, that, that sense of that, that group of arguments is only going to be more relevant in the days, weeks, and months ahead. Well, Pete, thank you uh, for that, and thank you for your time and thoughts today. Tom Wolf said we need a great relearning. We look to you. We look to the Pepperdine School of Public Policy for that great relearning, and any way we can help, we will join you hand in hand. Let me wish you and your family. God bless you, and Happy New Year. And to you, Seth. Thank you, Pete. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your day, some of your year with us. Wish you a happy new year. And I'll close. You've heard it a few times. I still think it's the most important thing I discovered this year. Quote from uh, a speech C.S. Lewis gave in 1948 on how to live with the atomic bomb. Replace the word virus with bomb. And I think the wisdom from Lewis in 48 is wisdom we all need just now. In one way... We think a great too much, a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply why as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the last point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb or virus, let that bomb or virus, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep, thinking about bombs and viruses. They may break our bodies. They need not dominate our minds. God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson. Class dismissed.